Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. How's it going? This is Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from Sports Social. My name's Niall and every Wednesday moving forward on this podcast, you'll be treated to an interview with a former Premier League player, manager, referee, whoever it might be. We're going to get stuck into their career and to their stories as well. And there is no better character to start with than Manchester United and Celtic legend Brian McClare, who'll be joining us in the studio very, very shortly. Brian won four Premier Leagues, scored over 100 goals for Manchester United, and he's also got plenty of stories to tell as well. We'll be speaking to the United legend very, very soon, but joining me in the studio to chat with him, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. How are you doing, boys? Good morning. I thought you were introducing me as a Manchester United legend, and I was no. like, too kind. God, no, no, goodness <laughs> me, maybe on FIFA or something like that. Hey, I'll take that. Football manager, <laughs> something like that. Brian is uh, a guy who's had a mad career, really, when you think about the amount of winning goals he scored in cup finals and stuff like that, Marley. So is there anything you're interested in asking him at all? Just about that era, really. Um, he came sort of just before the Premier League was probably his prime, and then obviously played plenty into it, and he's been part of uh, a couple of moments that you'll maybe not instantly realise, um, which we'll go into on the podcast. But yeah, stay tuned for that because uh, there's some some little anecdotes where it's from that sort of era where there's, there's a story about everything. You just need to talk to a character because it's not in the press. It's not in, not widely known. But once you talk to the person, they've got loads of stories about certain little things which uh, could just make for obviously a fascinating chat. And Joel, you're a big Manchester United fan and Chockey, as he's known, scored Many goals, over 100 for United. Played under Sir Alex Ferguson, worked at the club in the academy after he had retired. So I imagine you've got a few things you want to pick his brains on when it comes to United. Yeah, because obviously this era was long before I was on the planet. So it's nice to actually understand, like Marley said, the eras that went by because he was involved in, you know, the class of 92 coming through, Eric Cantona and everything that went around him. And obviously being managed by Sir Alex Ferguson, probably the greatest manager that's ever been in the UK. So for me, 
living my dream through him and asking my questions to understand just how it was to be playing for Manchester United and what made his team so successful. Because four Premier League titles, like, you know, some Premier League players can only dream of winning one. So to win four and have a hand in all of them is massive. So, yeah, it'll be a very uh, interesting story time for sure. All right. Well, without further ado, let's introduce the man himself. Brian McClare is joining us in the studio right now. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. What sir. makes it very well? Every day is an absolute bonus when you wake up in the morning and you get to my age. <laughs> so apparently, you know, something about this week is one of the saddest weeks uh, yeah. you can have. But not for me. I've always got a positive outlook because when I wander around, wherever I am, I can always see people who are worse off than myself. So, well, I, I think I'm blessed. I can tell you're positive because you've walked in today when it's three degrees wearing a pair of shorts, but you say that you always do that. So, oh, I shouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> very rarely that I have long pants on or, you know, long trousers. I started the show by calling you Brian, but most people call you Chocky. Why do people call you Chocky? Um, I never had a nickname even when I was out through school, and I think you, I was. I can remember being a bit disappointed not having a, a nickname, you know. Uh, but when I was at Celtic, we went to pre-season tour to um, Switzerland. I remember we went to play at Basel. They were called something else now, Ball or something. <laughs> and they had a right typical old stadium, and at the back of it was a great big terracing. And I, I remember it being really, really warm that that trip. It was in the nineties in the shade, and we were not really warming up because it was warm anyway just before the game and you could hear some lads singing some Celtic songs or the Celtic song but you couldn't see them and then they appeared at the top of this gigantic terrace and uh, not the easiest place in those days to get to Switzerland certainly not never has been the cheapest and they come over and mindful it's roasting they've got a big jacket on they've got the, they've got a hat on or a tammy on a scarf they might as well gloves on <laughs> And they walk down the terrace and one of them shouts down, on you go, the chocolate McClare. <laughs> right, I'd only signed a few weeks earlier. And Tommy Burns, who's one of the funniest people I've ever come across, liked this idea that something might annoy you. So I thought that would annoy you. Right, chocolate, you actually are having it. So from that moment on, it was chocolate, 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 chocolate. And he made sure, he made, he made it stick. Right, and, it made, and it just got shortened from chocolate to chalky. But some people... In England, certainly over the years, I've been confused about the spelling of it. So some people have asked me, well, when I say, well, it's because of Chocolate McClare, and they go, we don't get that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how's it difficult? Chocolate Chalky. Oh, right, I get it now. Can you not get that? (laughs) As I say, Tommy Burns. Did it work, though? Did it annoy you? No, I loved it. Because the more he tried to annoy me, the more I I was kind of in it. And it's not, and when you look right through the pantheon of of football players, it's it's a pretty unique name, you know. Before you moved back to Scotland to play, you were at Aston Villa in the academy. Tell us about that and why why didn't it work at Villa when you were there? Uh, Well, you you find out quite quickly about about adult life, really. I mean, you, you. you go through different stages of school, you know, but nothing prepares you. Certainly at that time for that, I left school at 16 and um, with the qualifications that were enabling me to get into tertiary education, which I, I did do the following year, but I'd been up and down to Aston Villa. I really liked it there. They they wanted me to sign. Well, one person in particular wanted me to sign for them and they promised me that um, they would I'd be able to continue my education. I was really keen at the time on 
on mathematics and they would say, well, we can we'll, we'll look to, to um, get you into doing, uh, it would be an A-level maths then. But that, that lad who was a youth development officer, he left the day after I, sat, I actually joined. Uh, and what you learn in the lesson about football, you come in as a 16-year-old, ex everybody's expecting you to be a, an adult and deal with things in an adult way. We did pre-season, which was exactly the same as what the first team were doing, running exactly the same, maybe even more numbers, uh, when we were running up and down hills out in the outskirts or the outskirts of Birmingham. But you, what I learned from that kind of point was there was, there was a lot of, we'd only had one youth team, uh, and there was a lot of players available to play in that age, one reserves, one youth team, and I didn't play that often. Uh, and the coach, quite early on, the coach of that group of players didn't fancy me. And that's where you learn quite quickly that's what football's like. Sometimes people like you, and you'd, you'll be favoured. There's other times where you just have to um, try get on with it and try and impress. I don't know what the, what went wrong with the thing, because I went back for the second season and I got called into to Ron Saunders. They'd won the league that year, and I, I was very big, played a big part by making sure that Dennis Mortimer, the captain's boots, were the cleanest boots in the, <laughs> in the old uh, First Division then. And I mean, they were the cleanest boots. <laughs> And they'd uh, won the league, and it had been a brilliant season and all that kind of thing. And I went, I got called into the manager's office after about a week of pre-season, and he said something about university. And I don't know, I'd, I'd apply for uni, but I'd, it was only as a to see whether I would be able to get accepted. I didn't really intended to go. And I, what I vividly remember about it is that, that he used to wear a shed load of aftershave, Aramis. Old My dad used to it. wear that. Your dad used to wear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, Old Spice is acceptable. Oh, is it? Okay. Anyway, Aramis was a wee bit of a level above. Right, okay. Um, so, right, and it was reeking his office of Aramis. It's like the Aramis. Tom Ford of, yeah. of the John Paul Gaultier of the Joe Malone. And uh, he just said like something about university and he said about Scotland and all that and then he just turned around and said, you can f*** back to Scotland now. And I was like, oh, huh? you can f*** back to Scotland Youth development officer came in and took me back to the digs, packed my bags, and I was on a train that afternoon back to back to Scotland, thinking that happened not quick. quite the dream that you know I had anticipated only a year before. You did come back to England a little bit later on in your career, but before we get on to that, what was life like growing up in Scotland in the 1970s? What was it like for you? What do you remember of it? I was born in 63, so my, my earliest memories were of kicking a ball about outside. You would just be put outside. I mean, where, the, where my first house was, it was very safe, cul-de-sac. not really a lot of traffic around those days anyway. And I was out all the time. I had the freedom to go kind of wandering, even at a very young age. So when you look back on things, um, you were, you were um, involved in um, physical activity every day, kicking a ball about, running around, climbing trees. And that sort of thing, I think, gave you a, a base for becoming... I'm not saying I was an athlete, but involved in an athletic, uh, sort of part of an athletic development. You didn't know what you were doing. I do remember one thing about football. There was always football down in the park, and you just go and join in. It was jumpers for goalposts, and there'd be lots of people from all ages. I'd be maybe 12, 13, and there'd be 20 year olds playing. Mm. And I'm just mass football game you know no real <laughs> 15 aside but like that yeah and, and we used to think it was vulgar to actually score goals we thought it was better to dribble around a few people dribble around to was a goalkeeper and stop the ball on the line but a lot of people didn't like this and got kind of disgruntled so part of also your athletic development was you stop it on the line and run like 
<laughs> Knowing that most of these, some of these other lads being a bit older, were already starting to drink and all they started to smoke, so they ain't going to run that far. You knew you could run, <laughs> and they wouldn't. They would stop, even though they might be faster, and you just run like hell, you know, because they were like humiliated. You'd not make them even better if you'd not make them stop on the line, you know. So it it had pretty good, really, you know, the sense of always being able to be outside in all weathers playing football. Having said that, if I had had a PlayStation 5, I'm not so sure I'd have been outside and it was, <laughs> and it was to be, snowing. To be fair, with uh, the amount of caffeine that's in uh, Bucky these days, they've probably got a good chance of catching you. Well, they were doing that then. They just um, they just would give up. You know, I think it was more the smoking, really, because a lot of kids at that age would, would be starting, really, in their early teens, you know. You could right. buy... I always remember going to go, and anybody could go, and you go into the local newsagents, and like kids of nine were buying singles, which was very profitable for the newsagent because they were selling them at double the price really that it was for a pack by selling single cigarettes. Then I'll get a single, go and get us a single, or whatever, and they just give you it, you know. Did you ever get involved in that? No, no. Nah. You always tried to do it, like, oh, that's never interesting. My dad smoked, I could couldn't care less. You didn't see this. They didn't like the smell of it, didn't like the taste. And couldn't mm. see that. Didn't ever get any buzz from it like that, you know. You mm. tried, tried them. You would try all sorts of things. Don't mind the taste of it fast, but I was never, <laughs> I was never a disciple. <laughs> so you left Villa and you went back to Scotland, started with Motherwell before moving on to Celtic. What do you remember those early years? You, you find, that, you know, there's very, very few. So you you look at players. You talk about some modern or modernish players that have had a, a, a career that's just gone from school football and it's kind of went on a trajectory that's been right up to the top. As Wayne Rooney, for example, would be one of them. Mine wasn't like that. I'd already had the disappointment of the, the Villa thing. I was at Motherwell and I, I decided to go to university full time, so I was playing part time, which um, restricted your opportunities to impress. Ali McLeod was the manager of Motherwell when I decided to sign there, and Davey he was assistant. And Ali McLeod, so I've gone from being released by Villa, I trained for one session, and he wanted to put me in the first team at Motherwell. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I just can't believe this. I'm like, I can't even get a game for Motherwell's youth team. Yet this guy wants me to put him into the Motherwell in the first division at the time, but he wanted me to play in their team full of adults at the, the, next, the next day or the two days later. Mm. I didn't do that right away. And I agreed to sign and negotiated a nice little rise because I told them that my, my grant at university would get reduced, so he gave me a little bit more money, so I learned a little bit about negotiation from then. Was that true? Yeah, yeah, it would have you been, You weren't yeah. just trying to squeeze no, a no, few no, extra No, 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 no. If you if you earned money you're, from any extra, your grant would get cut. Mm. And sure enough, I was then involved in my little system for four or five games, and then, not just down to me, Alan McLeod loses his job. David Hay gets a job full time, and I never got a look in for. Well, they never lost the game. They never don't they didn't lose a game. They went on an unbeaten run, and uh, eventually won the Scottish First Division Championship that year. I played a few games. I played enough games to get a medal, and again, that just showed me that you know, you know, what do you do? So, what at what point did you realise that being a footballer could be a career? Because I know you mentioned that you were in university. So did you have yeah. full belief that you would actually go to the I top? Had, it's like almost yeah. insurance policy. No, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was always encouraged that to, to continue with education or get your qualifications. My parents were, you know, always very positive in that they told me that I could break my leg at any moment. 
<laughs> parents, you know. So Adam wasn't sure if this was on the football pitch or anywhere else, you know. And uh, I, I, you, you, you always get. I, 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 despite all these kind of disappointments and these downs, these lows, which was quite a few. I had this, and I don't know where I got it from. I just ridiculous belief that I was going to become. I didn't know which level of player, but certainly I, I, to be able to play to earn a living for that mm. period of time until I got to my adults in my head about 35 uh, and I was in the team at the end of that and I'd done quite well at the end of that season looked for good night. and then David Hay decides to leave and I've got some new people coming in Jock Wallace who'd been manager at Glasgow Rangers and at Leicester a very fierce character a very loud character he had another assistant <coughs> with him called Frank Connor who was loud as well so you had bad cop and even badder cop and um, they used to shout at me just constantly but when I was 17 and they didn't realise that when I was 17 I knew everything about everything there was nothing that they could tell me was going to be any use to me <laughs> it took me a little while to realise that I knew f all about anything you know, but, <laughs> and then this is where the kind of change comes in part of the change I had never played as a forward in my whole life what were you originally? I played midfield I loved scoring goals I would have been in the uh, an inside forward, really, that was my kind of where I would have loved to play. And they came in one day and said, and they and they kind of spoke in riddles. So sometimes it's difficult to understand them. Not what they were saying, you know, the idea about it would be, I sent forward, uh, you uh, goals, and I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And then it said, we'll play tomorrow night in the youth team, and I played as I sent forward, and I scored a hat trick and a full three defeat. Went into the first team on Saturday. And I scored the winning goal because they were struggling to score goals. They're in the Premier League, but they're, they're struggling to score goals. Mm. I can't remember. I'm 11, I'm 11 says, and 17. It says, I think you scored 15 league 15. goals in your first two seasons at Motherwell. don't know how true that is, but it says here, and we'll come on to it when we talk about Celtic, you scored a hat-trick at Fir Park against Rangers. Yeah, I had a very good month. <laughs> I had a good month. It's January is your month. <laughs> it was, I, it was, yeah. That's why he's so positive yeah. coming yeah, in here I can today. understand why now. Yeah, I'd, uh, <laughs> Everyone overindulged. So uh, and, and that's when you kind of got you get a bit more. I got probably a bit more attention from different places because I was still part time. I was I was still at university. I sat I sat an exam one morning, and then went from university to the game and played mm. the game. You know, so I was probably a bit different from most players as well at the time. I think as well, looking through your career, you mentioned you went into the game and scored a winner. You seem to have made a habit of that through your career, what we would call nowadays clutch goals, winning goals, goals to, to change a game. And, you know, that hat-trick against Rangers I spoke about for Motherwell, and then you scored two against Celtic a few weeks later. Like, you're scoring against the biggest teams in Scotland, so people are going to notice, clearly. Round about that time, I'd also scored the winning goal at Capelona, 1-0, which is kind of probably more important. Well, yeah, as important because Morton would have been round about where we were at the bottom of the... Premier League at the time, so to win it against a rival at their place was was a, a great result. But we'd yeah, we'd beat Rangers and we'd beat. Um, but the Celtic game, they scored first in the game, and the first time that they played at Fir Park early on in the season, it was Motherwell nil, Celtic seven. Wow! And I thought that after they scored so early, oh here we go again, you know, it's going to be a we got a complete and of doing and that, you know. Mm. And what's my amusement in that game? And one of the, the, the in Scotland still have the the Scottish Sunday Mail 
and the paper called the Sunday Post that's printed in Dundee, right, which isn't quite a quaint kind of newspaper in a way. And I got man of the match in the Motherwell nil. Celtic seven gave me man of the match, which I just couldn't get my head around by you. <laughs> so I think I had three shots at goal or something like that. But certainly in this, the Celtic game when we got a we got a penalty and I took the penalty and scored. And then Pat Boner did me a massive favour by it's a simple enough cross. He goes to collect it and and being an optimist, I went towards thinking that there's always a chance that the goalkeeper might drop the ball. And he dropped the ball. <laughs> and I got there just before Roy Aitken and that ended up being the, the winning goal in that game. Yeah, I mean, you have a, a great record um, against Rangers, as I said. You moved on to Celtic after Motherwell and you were massively successful there. But I think a lot of people remember the end to the 85-86 season. Dramatic end to the title race. And Celtic yeah. needed wins effectively at the end of the yeah, season and you managed to, to deliver. We really needed to win every game I don't remember what, how many games we, we did do but we, I know we won a lot of games in a row I remember thinking well we just need to win and you've just got to win one game at a time mm. but the the most important game of that one was was um, well, I think we played Hearts and maybe Drew after being down or ended up with a point I think but we went to Aberdeen where we never won we, we just always just get battered at Aberdeen Alex Ferguson's team and we we beat them 1-0. And I think from then we felt we've got a chance of the rest of the games, I think, were winnable. We had an... Uh, this, uh, we have a... By the time you get to the last game, there's still a huge advantage for Hearts and that they've just got to go and get a get a point and there's a goal difference, goal disparity, you know. But we felt confident that we could do mm. what we needed to do um, at St Mern. And he did, won 5-0. Well, we were four nil up after half time, you know, so we thought we'd <laughs> job done then. We'd done, we'd, we'd done enough, yeah, and and I scored again in the second half. And but one of the best goals I've been involved in was in in that game as well. We got a passing move from several players. Um, in those days, there was the only way of finding out anything that was happening was a transistor radio or a tranny <laughs> in Scotland, <laughs> and uh, you'd have all these people with trannies at their ears. Jim Stewart was in goals for St Mirren who had played play for Rangers and Jim had the ball in his hands when all the Celtic fans erupted and Jim's like ah, never had an applaud like this for the Celtic supporters for saving the ball you know <laughs> and they, they, they were shouting wow they've scored it you know and then it came across that it was kid had scored so then there was a lull because there was a kid who played for Hearts so it was like oh Carts have scored, you know, and then, then it's oh, it's Albert Kid, whoa! <laughs> and then five minutes later, Albert managed to score. He'd come on as a sub, managed to score again to make it two 0 So then it was just yeah, pandemonium. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so I've never been able to get any of the t-shirts that that were printed that people took to Dens Park in Dundee with Hearts champions. Well, if you've got one and you're listening oh, to the podcast, get in touch with us and we'll send it to Brian because I know there are people that listen <laughs> to this show from every well. single corner. Yeah, If there's anything else that you want, Brian, I think it's worth saying now. Little... Oh, no, I'm not like that. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favourite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, well, it's time now to play a bit of a game. We're going to play something called Web of Lies, which is where we tell you some information we found about you on the internet, Chucky, and it's up to you to tell us whether you think it is the truth or it is a lie. If it is the truth, you'll know better than anyone because you're here to put us right. So the first one is you were born as Brian John McClare in Bells Hill, Scotland. Correct. I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says on my birth certificate. Okay, well, we'll class <laughs> tell you. We'll class <laughs> that. My mother right. told me, yeah. I was only there for a day because it was a baby hospital. It was a baby factory. <laughs> so if you look around, so for example, Alistair McCoy's is born in Bellshill. Right. But he's from East Kilbride. Yeah. Right? And I was born in Bellshill, but I'm from Airdrie. Uh, and you find that nearly everybody around there was born in Bellshill because right. that's where you went to. So that's the uh, the town that Matt Busby's from. That's very interesting. Historic po- town. Poetic in a Not way, bad. almost, with a, with Chucky yeah, going I was only there night. for the period of time I was, like, oh, I was you, born. At, you, I decided to be sociable. I was born at 11 minutes past three in the morning. I think I was <laughs> back in the house by... Lunchtime. It's <laughs> not that going. Night shift. That's not that going. Yeah. Probably was that the last time you you probably were in Bells Hill as well. No, no, I've been in Bells Hill a few times. Since then. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, mainly, yeah, been in a few times. <laughs> right. Okay. So that was a nice, easy one to get us started with Webber Lies. Marley, you're on with the next one, aren't you? Yeah, this one's uh, an interesting one. So, what we've got is you once gave Liam and Noel Gallagher from Oasis uh, some penguin biscuits for washing your car. It was Noel. Just no, yeah, no. Uh, used no. Well, Liam used to wash the cars as well. Um, there was a lad who who had pretty good idea that uh, he was a city fan. Paul Ashby he was called. He started going to city, and he think I'm not quite sure who the manager at the time. It might have been Joe Royal, and he'd say, "Listen, I wash your car every week for nothing if I can come in and wash other lads' cars." And it was a very reasonable ten quid or something like that in washing and. Uh, whoever it inside, you know, like a valet type thing. And yeah. so he came. He, he thought, "Oh God, what he drove? I just drove over down the cliff one day and just waited until uh, Fergie came out and just said, excuse me, I'm, I'll come, I'll wash your car every day if you, you know, would you mind just saying it? I no problem, son, you know." So Paul would, because he was doing so many then, because everybody was getting like a Friday, <laughs> he was great. He just said, "You go, you know, time we're leaving there, the cars clean and all that, you know." Yeah. But then he would, he'd start saying, "Oh, come to the house." Cause some of us had more than one car at the time, you know, so maybe a family car, some of our car at home. And uh, so he had Liam and um, 
and Noel coming to help him out. And uh, Noel came to the house one day to clean the car and he never said a f***ing word. <laughs> that's not like him, is it? Not a thing, that's what I'm saying. Never said a thing. And uh, Quite the missus made him the coffee. I asked him if he wanted coffee, to coffee. And she would bring out some chocolate biscuits. So he had whatever the selection was. Yeah, penguins, golds. <laughs> Blue Riband, <laughs> maybe I'm not sure. Blue Riband, maybe maybe he took a Blue Riband. I don't remember, but okay. it definitely was. He took the chocolate biscuit. Anyway. <laughs> I know he had the chocolate biscuit. Said thanks, but that was all he said in the forty-five an hour period he was there. You know, Paul gave me a, a, a tape, a demo of um, Oasis, which in those days the only thing you'd be playing the car was tapes. And it was, I'd, I said to him the next day, "That was pretty good, that you know." You still got it. Aye. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, an original. There you go. Uh, it's a copy of the original, but it's the it's a demo of them wow. doing the oh, early Christ, songs. That'd be yeah, worth a bit, so. That's worth more than a couple of penguins, isn't it? Let's be honest with that. Well, it depends who you ask. <laughs> yeah, definitely well, pays yeah. you back for the <laughs> yes. But anyway, I, 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 I did think it was pretty decent. Uh, yeah, yeah for, that's good, that. Yeah. So, but I didn't... Mark that as true, then. Yeah, yeah. that's going know. down as true. He gave Noel Gallagher some penguin biscuits, well, it wasn't chalky, but uh, quite ironic that it was a, a chocolate biscuit that he gave. Oh, yeah, you want the chocolate Gallagher biscuits, brand. no messing around, you know. Oh, Gary Palliser <laughs> here, you know, digestive, so it was proper biscuits, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, this next question um, we found on the internet, it says that you were part of a group of players at Manchester United who persuaded the club to keep hold of Paul Scholes as they were considering letting him go. I don't think that's correct. I know that um, there was certain things made. He'll never be a he'll never be a place to f- small and all that kind of thing. But we'd see, I'd seen him a few times, and certainly from what I'd seen playing in the youth team, you could see that the potential he had and how he even then he was small. He stuck out because his ginger hair, the strips too big for him, but he had all those little things that eventually you could see. You know, he had that eye for a pass. He could score goals. He had a nice little. The only thing I was always saying is, was, you know, about pace, but he, he developed the game to become one of the best players for Manchester United, maybe mm-hmm. one of the best players in the world at that time. Uh, don't recall have been asked about that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't really be asked really about about whether players should be staying or not. Okay, we'll put that. Because if we had David Beckham, wouldn't have been staying. <laughs> We'll put that That's only because I couldn't then. see a player than David, that was all. I mean, that was... Not, not quite true, that one, not, when it comes to the balls. No, no. Okay, uh, one more, Marley. I think, have you got the, the last one there? Uh, the last one is, uh, you were in a band called The Lonely Moon in your youth. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been in a band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you play any instruments or anything no. like that? Are you a music fan? I love music, yeah. I did, I did um, carry some kit around for... Uh, I remember a, a friend was in a punk band and he was playing the bass in this band and I remember going along to the house I was giving him a hand to carry the the um the amplifier and I'm carrying this fucking amplifier around <laughs> into a van I think it was a van or something I can't remember who that something I would only be fifteen or some sixteen. And then I'd been doing it for two or three times, a big heavy thing. And until eventually they said, Well by the way that's it's got wheels on it that <laughs> I was like, you us, you know, I've been carrying this thing. Not some st- is that classic, like, so stupid apprentice type joke, in oh, it? Like, like when you get sent for tar- tartan paint exactly or something yeah. like that. Yeah. A, a long, long stand, a long yeah. way. It was yeah. me. It was something that um, 
it would be if I, I'd have loved to have been a musician. I'd love to be able to sing, but I can't. You know, so what sort of bands do you like? Well, I'd say my first like, when I was fifteen, it was all but punk. You know, oh yeah, my first concert course, yeah. when I was fifteen, I went to see the Jam. Oh, brilliant! In Great uh, band. Glasgow, yeah, yeah, and the Vapors they were uh, supporting. Who arguably would have been the best? So all those types of bands: Jam, The Clash. I know. Um, Stuart Pearce is massive punk fan. Yeah, well, Stuart's always been a huge Stranglers fan. Mm. I mean, he's he's seen them so many times. I think he might actually be in the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, if you uh, not all sorts of different things. I wasn't just. I mean, I didn't mind a bit of George Michael there when he was in his pomp. Fleetwood <laughs> yeah. Mac, uh, Led Zeppelin, all sorts of different stuff. Bit of classical. One genre I just I've tried to, but I just can't. It's jazz. I just can't get it. I've tried, but I just... <laughs> people say that to me about heavy metal. People go, I don't get it. It's well, too it depends. Shy. I mean, it these depends two particularly. What, it depends what heavy metal. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I nearly got. I was just talking about true or false and all that kind of thing. I nearly got asked to go outside Square Go, as we call it in Scotland, <laughs> when I was a coach at Man United, right? And I'm in a bar in Bobal, Man United, are playing. Champions League game the following night and we had we had taken the youth team so we'd gone along as well so I was just in a bar meeting a friend lovely place beautiful old town and this guy came over and uh, started being a bit aggressive you know and and he's going uh, yeah you're you're a heavy metal fan you're a heavy metal I'm hard no, I don't know you're on about, mate. You know, he's a bit older than me, but <laughs> it's he's a random thing to start on something. Like Spanish, I right? know he's from Manchester. lad. No, he's from Manchester. Oh, right. okay. Yeah, from you know Manchester United fan. <laughs> and he's going. He's getting quite. He's quite aggressive, you know. I'm like, he's pointing at me, you know. I'm like, and he went back, and what, I could see one of the lads. I knew one of the lads he was talking to. Who's Andy Mitten, who's a journalist, you know, and he was kind of mm. laughing. I thought he's put him up to this, winding him up, you know, and sending you know. And he comes back and he's, he's even angry this time. I went, and it just clicked in my head. I went, oh, hold on a minute, mate. I goes, yeah, shoot. Oh, I know what it was. And when I was growing up, and you talk about growing up in the 70s, when they'd shoot, you first got the shoot and they'd have the questionnaires in them from football players, Scottish <laughs> and English. I used to think they were deadly dull. And always the same. To make Steak stuff up. and milk or lager and tea and... George Benson and all that. I just did Luther Vandross and I thought if I ever become famous I'm going to make it interesting <laughs> <laughs> and I made it like interesting when you're talking you're talking about um, Brian John McClare I put in Brian Tarquin McClare there's <laughs> another story about that I'll tell you in a minute so I'd put in and I'd put in and I put in favourite music heavy metal didn't I and he's remembered that. Oh, what happened? This that? Guy, he could remember it, right? Oh. And the reason why he's raging about it is he's a bit older than me, so in the 60s he was a mod. Oh, mod. And he came out of a, yeah. a cafe and some rockers pulled up outside, got off their motorbikes and gave him a doing. <laughs> him a kick at night. So he's hated heavy metal and heavy metal people, rockers since then. And he thought I was one. And I'm like that. Hold on a minute, mate. All right, I like the Who, I like the Jam, I like the Kinks. I like the His face just changed. Oh, we had a really nice conversation, you know. He's just about to say, we're going outside to sort this out, you know. Because <laughs> of the shoot magazine from back in the day. But even better when you're talking about that one. So I I'm, I don't know whether it was in Manchester or Glasgow, but I'm, I'm walking through this, the town and a guy's like, oh, hi, Jock, how you doing? And I goes, oh, good, thanks. So it's says, I'm and all that. I won the quiz the other night because of you. The tiebreaker. All oh, right, very good. Yeah, 
He goes, your middle name. I'm like, <laughs> no, he didn't say that. John, why the f*** anybody ask? That's a tiebreaker question. <laughs> What's yeah, Brian name is, you know? Bit. I'm looking at him and he goes, yeah, Tarquin. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody in a quiz has said it and you knew, the, this guy knew the answer that this guy was looking for and none of them, thought, they both thought it was true. I was, I was like, that is amazing. He's going, yeah, yeah, brilliant. They thought you won 50 oh, quid God. or something like that. I go, well, I've wandered away like that. Oh, that's that's just bizarre. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Careful power. sometimes what you're saying is what you write, you know. The power of shoot magazine. The power of shoot yeah. magazine, yeah. All right, if, so... If you'd the... have ended up outside with the lad, who'd have, uh, who'd have won? I'd have got my mate to tell him. <laughs> got my mate, was he? He's like six foot something. He'd have just um, <laughs> they'd been throwing him in the in the in the water. It was right by the port, you know. That's but, why we send Joel out because he's oh, the tallest. He's just, <laughs> ah, I was really concerned for a while, you know. Cause oh, right. like it was making me really uncomfortable. I was just enjoying myself and a couple of drinks and all that, you know. So. <laughs> Manchester United Football Club, massive, massive football club, institution in the game. When did you first hear, when you were at Celtic, that Manchester United were keen on signing you? The 86-87 um, season, um, just about beginning, probably about this time, uh, David Hay was manager of Celtic, called me into the, and he called me into the office and said, you know, you're, I don't know if you know, but you, because your contract's up in the summer, we're not, we're not, Celtic had um, suspended negotiations because they thought it was a distraction. Uh, not just about me, there was four or five players out of contract and he told me that, you know, you're, you're free to talk to any clubs and that Manchester United were interested. So that's uh, that's when I found out. Celtic wanted two million quid for you. United put up 400k and then it ends up going <sighs> to a tribunal. Did you know much about that at the time? Were you aware yeah, of all the chaos yeah, that was going on? Yeah, because you have to go to the tribunal. And what had happened was that, again, you know, strange things about football. I was, I had, this is, I'd, I'd, I'd come to a point where I was going to stay at Celtic or I was going to go to Manchester United. I'd Manchester United, you in Scotland, you're out of two teams. They were my English team. And Alex Ferguson had said to me that he was intending to rebuild a football club not a team, a club, and then I want to be part of that. I had a really good chat with David Hay at home, and he got sacked that afternoon. Celtic sacked him that afternoon. And Billy McNeil got the job. So Billy McNeil signed me for Celtic, had left. And I say, this is my thinking, life goes up and down. David Hay gets a job, and I'm David, does he fancy me? He signs loads of forwards. Because you never got to play under McNeil, did you? No, and he came back, there was disparency and, and a few different things and um, at that moment I decided that my, my future was, was at Manchester United I signed for Manchester United in that, in that summer. The tribunal thing came around because I was out of contract, now what had happened was, and this is where the, 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 I suppose my evidence was potentially crucial because John Hollands was the manager of Chelsea and John had come to Glasgow and it was either the football writers dinner in Glasgow or it was the players PFA Scottish professional football players dinner because they were both in the same hotel because they had the biggest room for the number of people and I remember him coming in and, and saying I'm John can I have a word with you and I went outside the, the function room and he gave me a bit of paper 
with a pen and, and he told me some figures which I wrote down. I think I've still got this piece of paper somewhere which were it for at the time, right? Mm, really big. And I said, look, thanks very much for taking your time, um, but I'm either going to stay at Celtic or I'm going to Manchester United, and at which point he wasn't happy. We'll f***ing finish above my United this year, and he, he stormed off. So <laughs> so because I knew that and I knew what date that, that event had happened, it was either that week or that week, because we were a week apart, I knew that I'd already told John Hollands. So what they were saying, what Celtic was saying, was that Chelsea had offered £2 million for me, and I said, well, I can't understand why they would do that because three weeks earlier, I told John Hollands I had no intention to go to Chelsea and he, which at the time he was very upset about it and told me that I was making a mistake. So why then, if I'd already told the manager I had no intentions of going there, are they making a bid? Oh, yeah, they're all writing it down and that kind of thing. So they were they were hoping Fergie was home 7.50 and it came out at 8.50, which... United weren't overly delighted about it, but they were raging. Billy, Billy McNeely been chanting yeah. before he's got straight out the door, you know. Then John Barnes had gone to Liverpool for nine hundred that same time. Yeah, and uh, so I, I think I mean I think eight fifty was too much, really, you know. But I think you paid them back though, didn't but, you? Uh, so they, so somebody was being economical with the truth. <laughs> yeah, with the goals you scored and stuff like that, it was pretty clear that it was probably a decent decent deal in the end. I kind of just want to cut to the chase. When was the first conflict you had with Alex Ferguson when you were there? And what was your relationship with him like? Because I know, I don't know how he was back then, but I know Cristiano Ronaldo always used to say how he was such an amazing man-manager and understood each player. Back then, how yeah. was it? Was well, it similar to the same? Yeah, that, that's always been one of his strengths in the... As I say, again, there was another kind of scenario when this is again what you're going up to. And somebody wants you, they're willing to, they want you, he can sign any player, certainly in the UK at that time, but he wants to sign me. You feel very positive about it. He's, he's again, another kind of daffle way, he's got Archie Knox's assistant manager, the sim, and you soon find out that it, again, it's bad cop and even worse cop. Um, and, um, He's like anything, he's romancing you when he wants you to sign. Once you've signed, he's going to do anything that he thinks is appropriate for the success of Manchester United. And the first time that I got, or the first time I'd seen it, was the very first game pre-season. Um, we, were, we went to Scandinavia and it's uh, John Sieverbeck who got the first time I'd seen it. And that was... Is it as scary as people say? Well, it's ferocious, eh? You know, because you just try to work out. I haven't had this kind of thing about so friendly, you know. Alex Ferguson didn't have friendlies, you know. It was part of the, all my time I had been the Motherwell and Celtic pre-season games were friendlies, you know. And mm. The games were league games and cup games, but we could recognise right away that he his his demands were high. Because again, I'm watching. I'm thinking. I don't think he's played that bad, and he maybe would give it to a few other people. And in the same preseason, we we played in uh, Belfast, and I had um, made an error by having that attitude you were talking about earlier about swapping my shirt with some League of Ireland guy. Mm. And uh, so when I came in, everybody else still got a strip on, apart from me. I've got this thing over my my shoulder, you know. And uh, he comes in and he's raging, and he just comes down everybody. And uh, he just gets to me and he, and he stops and goes, where's your f***ing shirt? 
And then just from that, who the fuck you are, you know? Was this it's just your first preseason as well? Or the third <laughs> game or something? You don't. That's not your shirt, yeah. That's not yours. You've got no right to swap that shirt. You've not earned that shirt. And it's so just embarrassing in front of all your teammates, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's just letting you have it, you know. And uh, I was like, really right into it, you know, properly. And then he moves on to move around, and I was like. I think I made a mistake. <laughs> so do you think he got the most out of the plays through fit? Yeah, well, I think I can't do that. Yes, because, but not so much that. I think that he knew, he's, he's talking about man manager, he knew who he could do it to. He knew who would respond to it. And, and he, he, what, he, that's what he was brilliant. Like, what, he, not everybody would get the same sort of things, but he knew that, that yeah, clearly I responded to it. You know, I didn't, and he never answered. He didn't want, he never answered them back because he knew it was going to stop. You didn't want to, to prolong it. Sometimes some of the people would say something. And you think, oh, don't say anything. You know, you need to get, and they would, and they would just, you just make it. You just increase it on that particular person. You go. Mm. Sometimes you hear some them some classic things they come out with. You know, when he was he was angry about who, how dare you call me a call question what I'm saying. You know, he'd often say, come in on Sunday morning. I'll be here at eight o'clock on Sunday morning, which I believe he was. None of us knew because none of us went in. <laughs> you know, the time he's oh, just leave it, you know. But the beauty of it, then you know, you learn that when you look back, was on a Monday morning he would come over, and he'd be we'd be already started training when he come over, and he would be he would stop next to people and he'd pull them over and he'd have a little chat and all that kind of thing. And what I subsequently have discovered is he's 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 repairing whatever it was he did and he thought he did oh, rather than carrying on that grudge so he, he was somebody told him early in his career don't do it just leave and go home but after a couple of games his wife said if you don't get rid of this anger I'm divorcing you so I don't you can't come home and be like this because he would be frustrated and angry and annoyed in the house and taking out and out on the kids so he had to do it there then get it out of the way then and then if he thought there was he was OTT, he would then be going around on a Monday one. And there's a great kind of quote that you'll see time and time again. He may well have been somebody saying, we were talking about West Ham earlier, and people say, oh, he's lost the dressing room and actually finished. I remember uh, Gordon Strachan saying that Alex Ferguson, remember he was at Aberdeen as well as Manchester United, Alex Ferguson lost the dressing room after every single game. <laughs> <laughs> and by Monday, you were ready to go to war for him again. So by after training on the Monday afternoon, when he'd been around and doing his little thing, you were ready to go. Yeah, you were all, everyone was all sorted, you know. So it's only, well, I learned that. I think when I was coaching, looking back and seeing what he was doing, was how clever he was, you know. Pavement psychologist, incredible. Mm. Brilliant at it. Because I saw that he called you in one of his three most underrated plays he'd ever had, alongside Jason Park and Ronnie Onsen. How do you feel about that? Because I know I saw that you were like the first player to uh, score t- over twenty league goals you know, after George Best. Any kind of mentioned by him in a positive way is is good because one thing if you've transgressed and he's thought of it, certain things you don't get a mention ever again. Right, you know right. you, do, you don't need just an afterthought. <laughs> he had that great quote, you know, about uh, around about the time when um, Kinchelskis, Mark Hughes, Paul Ince, and. Paul Parker left and that allowed the um, Gary Neville and David Beckham and Nicky Buck to get an opportunity to, to play in the first team. 
he said he was asked about this, and he says, "I you need know, to be friendly with people. You'll need six people to carry your coffin, you know." <laughs> That's what he said in the press, you know. And I said to I him, like and I said to him, I says, "Right, you've got three sons. Who the else is going to carry? Who else is going to do that?" He's like, "It might be you, Jason Parker, maybe now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's the other three. <laughs> He's got grandsons now, so maybe okay." <laughs> <laughs> you might be sorted in that thing where you know, but yeah, it's all. I mean, look, I didn't, I didn't play football to get, you know, say nice things about. It. I wanted to play football. My whole idea to play football was to win things, play in a football team, be successful, win things. That was my kind of thing. There was no, mm. no kind of thing about individual stuff. You know, I mean, you see stuff now for me, but the idea of football for me was, you see, if you if you roll right through the four years at Celtic and at Motherwell. And those early days at Man United, I go into the I go into the net all the time, get the ball. Out the, I don't mess about with celebrating and things like that. I didn't. I thought it was embarrassing. <laughs> I was embarrassed, you know. I was like, I didn't want the, all this accolade, and I didn't do Sharpie going to the touchline and doing his elbows. I, I just go and then just did your job and, and went. Yeah. Just go back because again, you're used you know, to stopping it so. on the line and sprinting, so you just yeah, yeah. probably no, no time for this mess. He feels around, uncomfortable yeah. with the ball so being in the net. Yeah, I yeah. never <laughs> celebrated when I was. Uh, he doesn't like it. Brilliant to hear from Brian and some of the tales from his early career, life at Aston Villa, life at Celtic and of course when he arrived at Manchester United. And who would have known that Noel Gallagher might have had a career as a car valeter had he not become so successful with Oasis? I wonder what Brian put in those chocolate biscuits after all. You can hear more from Brian on next week's edition of Football Social Daily. So hit subscribe because trust me, you won't want to miss it. Eric Cantona after that incident with the fan. You must have been thinking, what the f- is Eric doing well, kicking a fan? I, was, I wasn't, I wasn't really pleased about it because I knew my view was that if it'd been any of the rest of us, we'd have got sacked. But it certainly gives you something to talk about, really. <laughs> How about the dressing gossip? I don't see it at the time because I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't believe it happened. And you know, and even though everybody was telling me that, I was like, oh, it's not possible. You know, I did physics, at, you know, you know, I'm like, that's not. <laughs> that's the final, it? it doesn't compute right. No, I didn't. The second part of our chat with Brian McClare will be released on Wednesday. So as I say, make sure you don't miss it by hitting subscribe. But for now on Football Social Daily, that's it. And we'll catch you next time. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward limited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.